Hello, and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of January 6th, Riding the Blue Wave. I'm your host, Dan Creator, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the somewhat surprising result of Georgia's runoff elections and what a Democratic control of the Senate might mean for credit spreads both in the near and long term in 2021. Finally, we conclude with a brief discussion on corporate and SSA issuance in the first week of the year. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Happy New Year, everybody. I want to start off by saying we hope you had a very relaxing holiday season. Hopefully you had a chance to take some time off and relax a little bit during the holiday season after a very trying 2020. Uh, We certainly did. We haven't recorded in the past couple weeks, and I think it was a much needed and very welcome break for everybody. But we're back now in 2021 and hitting the ground running with a major market moving event in just the first week with the Georgia runoff elections being held yesterday. But before we get to that, Dan... Why don't you, in two minutes or less, try to do your best to catch us up on what we missed in spread markets in the last two weeks? Yeah, so spread spent the second half of December grinding narrower, despite a couple of potential headwinds that they faced. So first, we had this new variant of COVID, which originated in the United Kingdom and has since spread elsewhere. And secondly, some disappointing headlines with respect to the vaccine distribution. But importantly, both of these issues are things that the market is willing to look past. So with respect to the new strain of COVID in the United Kingdom, it's not obvious that that is more deadly than the original strain of COVID or that it's more resistant to the vaccines. And then with respect to the distribution issues with the vaccines, that was largely priced in something that's likely to improve over the coming weeks and months as logistical issues are ironed out. So spreads, despite these factors, continue to outperform, which is really, to me, emblematic of the strong demand for credit. So spreads currently sit right around pre-pandemic lows and right around levels that we saw at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, and use the words looking past. I think that is really the most important thing is that we continue to look past what's expected to be a pretty difficult time in the winter months regarding COVID. And these variants, it's something definitely to keep an eye on. You mentioned the one in the United Kingdom. It does appear to be more communicable, but it is maybe not more deadly, nor is it vaccine resistant. We're tracking the one in South Africa as well, that there's a bit more concern in the South African variant that there could be some resistance to therapies that may eventually lead to resistance to vaccine. But so far, we've been given no reason to think that vaccines will not be effective against these new variants. And just for clarity's sake, when I say effective, I'm really referring to near-term immunity granted by vaccines. The one thing these variants do seem to increase the likelihood of, if not ensure, is that we will need to be vaccinated against COVID at regular intervals, perhaps as frequently as annually, like we get the flu shot now, there's not going to be lasting durable immunity, it seems now with these variants. But I don't think that represents a change from the base case. I don't think anyone's expecting durable immunity at this point. So if that's the main takeaway from the variants, then I, I don't think that should result in a big repricing of spread. So this continued 
downward grind. That's what we were expecting. And as we iron out some of these technical issues with vaccine distribution, and as long as variants and vaccines stay on path, I think that's the way the market will continue to trend. Although I guess the one trend that maybe we have to continue monitoring is willingness to take the vaccine. There's been some debate about that back and forth over the course of the past year. I did think after the results of the trials were so compelling, I thought that that might start to fade, but it appears that vaccine willingness is still something that the market will be contending with going forward. But like you said, Dan, we're looking past all that for the time being. I think that's the way we've been leaning as well heading into this year. But now, in just the first couple of business days of 2021, the market is dealing with its first big surprise, and that is that the Democrats have indeed taken control of the Senate after winning or apparently winning both runoffs in the Georgia elections taking place yesterday. And Dan, how has the market reacted to that outcome? Yeah, somewhat surprisingly, equities are up as we record this. The Dow is up between one and a half and two percent, with the S and P up one percent. The Nasdaq is lagging, which is unsurprising given the likely headwinds that some tech companies are likely to face. So, a couple ways to interpret the Nasdaq underperformance. I think the one is that yes, a unified Congress and president might lead to the potential for more antitrust scrutiny on the tech giants. The other one just being that the tech giants, obviously, that's where we've been going for this safe haven type of trade. And now with more stimulus likely to come, that uh, you want to be on more higher beta type of stocks that are going to participate more directly in a recovery. Which do you find more likely here? Personally, I think the former is more likely. I think it's going to be pretty name specific and increased regulation, I think, is one of the major things that's likely to come from this blue wave. Then credit spreads are also about one basis point better today. Not terribly surprising, but I think one of the most important market moves is the bear steepening of the treasury curve. And that could lead to some potentially longer term headwinds for credit spreads, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest news of the day in response to the Georgia election is probably not in the credit spread market. It's in the treasury market where we've seen the 10-year treasury sort of blow through 1%. And as we record this podcast, is trading at basically 105. So I think that's certainly the takeaway. I mean, I'm looking at the screen now, the Dow's up 527. So that's definitely a reversal of where we were heading into the day. Obviously, risk got off to a, a more tepid start. But now as the Georgia results are really becoming clear, and it's pretty obvious now that Democrats are going to take the Senate, it's shifted to a risk on tone. And that's what we were expecting heading into the Georgia election. At first, that might seem a little counterintuitive since the risk on response to the November result was partly attributed to the fact that there was going to be gridlock that was going to prevent the Democrats from pushing through some of the more progressive agenda. Then if that gridlock is priced out, I mean, knee jerk, you should see spreads suffer. But heading into the Georgia election, we thought actually just given the momentum and given all the monetary accommodation that continues to course through the financial system, that a blue wave would actually be looked upon favorably by risk assets, just given what that pretends for fiscal stimulus, both in terms of size and timing after President Biden's inauguration. So it does seem like that is what's settling in now is optimism there around stimulus. But to your point, I do think you know, looking longer term, where we think spreads will continue to narrow in the near term. I do think that now, because Democrats are in control, maybe the lows of 2021 won't be as low as they would have been if gridlock had remained in place. Does that make sense? And just to add one point to the reasons for this market optimism we're seeing today, this 50-50 split in the Senate, yes, the Democrats have the tiebreak from the vice president. But I think there's some reason to believe that the chances of pushing through stimulus are significantly greater today than they were yesterday, whereas the odds of pushing through major tax reform are less meaningfully changed than they were yesterday. 
just because of the filibuster and potentially less political willpower to get something like that through, where a stimulus seems all but a certainty at this point. Yeah, I can get on board with that interpretation. But even still, at the end of the day now, Democrats, if they really want to, can push through whatever they need to push through, through Congress. And yes, while I agree with you, that means that maybe some of the very most progressive platforms on the Democratic agenda won't make it through. Certainly now, it's inarguable, I think, that the odds of tax increases have also increased here and of potentially more regulations surrounding corporations. So long term, I think that will weigh on spreads maybe in the second half of the year. You know, assuming everything stays on track with the health crisis, once people have been vaccinated, we can hopefully move on and Democrats are able to refocus sort of on some of those high priority campaign promises, you know, moving on to health care or talking about tax reform, the market will price in a higher likelihood of that. As well as you mentioned, the stimulus is basically a foregone conclusion at this point. I agree with that. You could even say that an infrastructure package that many, including ourselves, has sort of discounted with the split Congress. Now, all of a sudden, you have an infrastructure package back on the table here that could actually be really inflationary. So obviously, the reflation trade is what's putting upward pressure on treasury yields today. And you know, low treasury rates was something that was a key factor underpinning our call for credit spreads to hit all-time lows this year. Like treasury yields staying very, very low was one of the main factors behind that call. And this reflation trade, even if we continue to think that actual inflation won't take off the way the market might be expecting it to at this point, even if it's not realized in the long term, I do think that this sort of reflation idea, it's going to have legs now for a while, and that will keep an upward influence on treasury yields that might prevent credit spreads from reaching the lows we had originally thought they might reach in the first half of the year. Yeah, Dan, I agree. Just from the technical standpoint, I think treasuries now look marginally more attractive than spread products, all else equal, now that 10-year treasuries have a one-handle. And I think as long as we stay in that range, it's not going to be a significant headwind for credit, but it does remove some amount of the impetus to believe that spreads are going to reach this 75 basis point range that we had been expecting. Right. I think the outcome of the election was enough to get us to change our forecast. Coming into the year, we were projecting spreads to make all-time new lows on the index with our target in the 70 to 75 basis point range. Just given the outcome of the Georgia election and its ramifications for what it means for both Treasury yields and potential legislation later in 2021 or even next year, we revised our targets higher this morning and now look at spread lows for 2021 falling in that 80 to 85 basis point range, which is basically in line with all-time lows, depending on exactly what you consider all-time lows. I think we can get there. We'll have this sort of grind narrower in the early part of the year as vaccine optimism stays on track, more and more people get the vaccine, and we have this bigger push of stimulus. I want to touch very briefly on swap spreads, which have moved in response to the Georgia election. We've seen a bit of a narrowing this morning, and we are actually now in a basis point and a half on short end spreads since the beginning of the year. And now basically sit smack dab in the middle of the six basis point range that spreads have been contained in since May. And the narrowing this morning makes sense, just given what the increased stimulus package means for treasury supply going forward, that increased collateral should weigh on spreads. Dan, what are your expectations for swap spreads here going forward? Yeah, swap spreads have not been very volatile over the past, call it six months. I don't expect that to change meaningfully. As long as the Fed is in the market doing QE, I don't expect there to be a significant narrowing in swap spreads like we saw in 2019 with this excess collateral problem. So we're going to have two major forces continuing to be active in the repo market, which is heavy treasury supply, and that's going to be largely offset by 
active Fed purchases. And so I expect continued range bound trading and front end swap spreads. This blue sweep probably has a marginal narrowing pressure and we could see further narrowing if there are additional developments leading to heavy treasury supplies, such as an infrastructure spending program. But I think this range in the end is likely to hold for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that this neutral stance is probably the way to go. If I had to pick one, I'd probably rather be short spreads than long at this point. But like you said, with the Fed buying so much in, in the treasury market, it's hard to see spreads really narrowing much. And, and you kind of have this persistent upward pressure from the market continuing underpriced is the fallbacks surrounding LIBOR transition. That matters less now that LIBOR was pushed out to June 2023. But it is still a factor that will still sort of keep at least some upward pressure on swap spreads and, and likely keeping them in the range. So if I had to pick one, I'd pick short, but I don't have much commitment in either direction. And I think the neutral stance is the way to look at it. It's just going to be in this range now, I think, with the Fed so involved in the financial system. Okay, Dan, why don't we transition the conversation over to primary markets? If not for the Georgia election, that would certainly be the topic that we're focusing on today. Obviously, January, the largest month of the year in corporate and SSA supply really sets the tone for the rest of the year. So other than Georgia, primary markets likely the biggest story. How has corporate issuance unfolded in the first couple of days of the year? Yeah, so just through the first two days, we're off to a remarkably strong start in corporate supply. We've had about $43 billion issued through the first two days, which is somewhat coincidentally the exact same number that we saw in the first two days of 2020. Now, the first week of 2020 ended with about $63 billion. We might come a little bit short of that. We were expecting about $50 billion this week, which was, I think, a little bit higher than most of the rest of the street. But I would say likely to come a little bit above that $50 billion mark. We had projected $150 billion in supply for the month of January back in December. And I think that seems still largely on track. We're going to see continued heavy supply next week, and then it should drop off a little bit as domestic companies enter earnings blackout periods. So I think around $150 billion for January remains a reasonable pace to expect. And that would be pretty high. That would be the highest total since 2017. And another trend I want to highlight is just as push towards green or sustainable debt issuance in the corporate market. We've talked a lot about this in our written work. We haven't talked about it so much here, but just to put it into numbers, last year's sustainable debt issuance, I'm talking labeled sustainable bonds, breached $450 billion for the first time. For reference, the previous record, 2019, was about $270 billion. So we're still on this exponential growth in the sustainable debt market. And that's really being driven by not green labeled issuance, but issuance in the sustainable or social bond market. Last year, social and sustainable bond issuance was $215 billion, nearly as much as green bond issuance of 240 For reference, in 2019, green issuance was $2,015 billion, and social sustainable issuance was just 55 Now, I'm talking all currencies around the world. So obviously, in the US dollar market, these numbers are lower. But the trend I'm trying to highlight is just this growth in green slash social slash sustainable debt markets, ESG, if you will, as a whole, continues to be exponential. And I think with President Biden taking office, we could see a push in the United States to increase, quote unquote, greenification of the financial system, if you will. Incoming Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has already talked about incorporating more ESG credentials into the financial process. The Fed has recently signed on with a group of other central banks around the world. Like We're seeing the U.S. starting to engage more and more on the sustainability front. And it's worth noting that President-elect Biden 
when he was campaigning for president, he put forth a plan for an infrastructure spending program, and there was a green component to that spending program. Now, could that eventually someday be partially financed with green bonds? Certainly not this year and probably not even next year, but years down the line, it's a possibility. You know, We know Treasury monitors markets for new types of issuance. They brought out a floater. Expectation is they'll be bringing a sulfur floater in the not-too-distant future. Certainly, they've been monitoring what's going on in the sustainable debt markets globally. So it's just a trend that's worth keeping your eye on is the big growth in social and sustainable debt markets and green markets in in the United States, particularly in the corporate sector, I think will continue in, in 2021. And now finally, just transferring over to the SSA market, issuance to start the year has been relatively light. Actually, we've only had three new deals, a $5 billion issue from EIB, and then we had a 10-year benchmark from IADB and another five-year from KBN. Just three new deals totaling $11 billion so far. For reference, over the past five years, that would be the lowest in the past five years. The previous low was 2019, where we had five deals for a total of $12.5 billion. Obviously, we're beneath that now. It looks like we'll finish that way with the slate empty so far this morning. Typically, we see issuance on average over the past five years, even including that late 2019, we'd average about seven deals in the first week of the year with supply above $18 billion. So this week's been disappointing. It's possible that that's just because borrowers wanted to avoid the Georgia elections. And if that's the case, issuance should be huge next week. But if next week comes and goes, we don't see a, a relatively large bump in SSA supply might be time to start looking more deeply at potential other explanations. So far, our forecast for, for January supply of around $50 billion remains intact, and we still expect to see heavy supply both this month and this year with SSA borrowing programs remaining large. But we are not off to a hot start in 2021, and, and that sort of just lends credence to the notion that any new issuing session in, in deals coming out should be looked at as attractive if, if supply is going to continue remaining light. Okay, Dan, well, before wrapping up, any other thoughts you want to share on corporate supply? Yeah, I'll just piggybacking off of your point about the new issue concessions. Demand for corporate credit remains very, very strong, and any concessions is seemingly pretty hard to come by. We've had an average of negative 0.4 basis points of new issue concession through the first two days of, of this year. So in the same sense, we recommend in the corporate market as well, getting involved in any deal that as any new issue concession is tight pricing in the primary market is likely to continue for the next several weeks or months. Just one final note, things we're looking for. There's only, what, less than 15 days in Trump's administration remaining. And we are looking for a modification to the Treasury's preferred stock purchase agreements with the GSEs between now and January 20th. So be on the lookout for that. We'll be back with our thoughts if and when that does materialize in both written and podcast form in the next week. And otherwise, I think that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 